We're talking about BRT? And LRT, the two titans. LRT? That's light rail. Okay. Light rail transit or light rapid transit, depending on who you ask. Okay. Episode two, light rail versus BRT battle of the titans. Battle of the titans, question mark. Or is it? But it's not, because there's a clear winner. You see, the thing is, like... (laughs) It shouldn't be a competition because BRT is not designed to be, or at least it should not be designed to be, a replacement for rail transit. Rail transit forms the core of pretty much every decent transit system on the planet with a few very rare and, frankly, really weird exceptions. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having multiple tiers of transit available. No, no, no. Like, you have your commuter rail, then you have your of light course. rail, then you have your bus rapid transit line, which is, like, really good bus. Let's. I'm not going to call it BRT anymore. It's going to be improved bus service. Yeah, because, or express bus. Because express bus. Yeah, because yeah, like it's the not... diamond to- HOV tong lane. Exactly, because it's not like it's... People who are fans of BRT like to act like it's something other than just improved bus service. Yeah. It's improved bus service. That's what it is. That's what UVX is. They and run them like every an, six to ten minutes. Yeah, and that's an excellent thing. Like, that's a good thing. We want improved yeah. bus service. But, like, pretending that we're going to replace rail transit with BRT, maybe not so good. And then, obviously, below BRT, you have your 15-minute bus and your half-hour bus, then your hour bus, then your flex bus, then your commuter uh, van pool and your paratransit and all that nonsense. Yeah. But, like, it's not... It's not on an equivalent tier with rail transit, and I no. think that's where a lot of people are going wrong. <laughs> of course, yeah, especially with cost cutters trying to replace light rail with BRT. And then BRT with air quotes, BRT. <laughs> BT, bus transit. Bus transit, it, there's no rapid. I mean, even regular BRT isn't all that rapid. It runs less than 10 miles an hour on average, so. Yeah, yeah. What's UVX's number rather than, like, the you know, average? I would love to look that up. I'd imagine it's a wee bit faster. Yeah. Except it might not be. Because oh. in the BYU section and the section from Orem Station to UVU, that took me, like, 10 minutes. Just from Orem Station to oh. UVU. Is it like it got stuck in this massive traffic jam. Because is it like a sort of tracks downtown sort of issue where you get stuck by it, the same things that make cars stuck? No, it just got tr- stuck in traffic, like normal traffic. BRT stuck in traffic does not sound very rapid to me. No. Uh, <laughs> or bussy. Or even bussy. Like, even normal buses shouldn't have to get caught in traffic like that. I know, right? Well, I was actually just on a bus. Well, good Ooh. job. Yeah, I took the bus down to game night. Ooh. Which one? Ooh, I think it's a 219. Oh, 219. That's a good bus. Yeah. I was the youngest person on that bus by at least 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to talk about why buses suck in America someday, but... <sighs> Spoiler alert. Everyone uses buses in other countries. In America, poor and old people use buses. Is it just like a <laughs> stigma sort of deal? A lot of that. It's unsurprisingly, huh, racism. Welcome back to the internet, live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. This is the Red Line Podcast. 
I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Alex Fielder and... Kyle Holland. Last week, we explored the wonderful world of cars. Oh, wonderful. And this time around, it's time for probably the biggest fight in modern American transit policy. Light Rail versus BRT. That's right, folks, and this one's a real Friday night showdown. As usual, or I guess the same as last episode, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of both systems, then get into the flaming hot takes, the nitty-gritty, which one is better, BRT or LRT. So, how did Light Rail come to dominate transit in the 80s and 90s, and why has BRT become the darling of transit think tanks today? Yep, yep, and we're going to start with my personal favorite mode of public transportation, light rail. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. I know, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, uh, first, it's probably going to be productive to sort of define what light rail is. So, the term light rail transit, or LRT, was kind of invented in the U.S. during the 70s to describe a sort of emerging form of rail transit. So, it's kind of like a mid-sized system. It has less capacity than a metro, but a whole bunch more than streetcars or buses. There's a speed difference, too. Oh. Light rail is way faster than a streetcar. Oh, yeah. Even when it's running downtown, it's way faster than a streetcar. Yeah, yeah. Also, streetcars obviously run in the street, and metro systems run grade-separated, so not in the street, whereas light rail is in between. Yes, and I mean, that's that's normally true, except in, like, Portland, because, as we'll discuss in the future, they are kind of weird. But that's sort of besides the point. Even though the term light rail is pretty new, uh, light rail and streetcar systems are pretty old, actually, over 100 years old now. Electrified light rail actually dates back to the 1880s. In fact, if you live in a city of, like, any size, it probably had a streetcar or light rail sometime during the early 20th century that was torn down when... Hmm, I can think of the Boise, Idaho transit system that was torn down starting in 1928. Ooh, good. Ah, a little local lore for me. Ah, the nostalgia for the Boise Interurban Railway. But most of them were turned down 1930s to 1960s, just like we talked about last time, so that we could build more freeways. Woohoo! Exciting, right? I know, <laughs> right? Love freeways. We love freeways, yeah. yeah. But modern light rail, it got its start during the Reagan era, like so many other little cost-cutting measures, because cities, all these new mid-sized cities, Portland, San Jose, Denver, Dallas, all these places are like, hmm, we would like rail transit, but metros are $800 million a mile. So in a time when the Reagan administration and the government in general was kind of being like, Rail transit may be too expensive. They're like, ah, let's build it cheap. And so the Reagan administration's like, okay, you can have some money if you build it cheap. And the first American light rail system was built in San Diego for an astoundingly low $7 million per mile. $7 million per mile. That's competitive with building a road. Like, just a straight road. And roads are cheap. <laughs> like, two to five million a lane mile of road. You could build that cheaper than a road. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy, that amount of transit for that little money. I know. And another fun fact about San Diego is that even today, they still, like, have the highest fare box recovery ratio of any transit system, mostly because of their light rail. That's impressive. It is incredibly impressive. But everybody in the West, mostly, saw these, like, big successes of these new light rail systems, and they're just like, oh, we're piling on this trend. 
Portland, Sacramento, Santa Clara, Houston, Denver, and lovely Salt Lake City all built these light rail systems in the 80s to the early 2000s. And, you know, even besides the financial cost, and most of these systems came in both under budget and under time, which is very impressive for an infrastructure project in the United States. Ahem, ahem. 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 Ogden, anyone? Ahem. Uh, but even aside from their cheap cost and quick completion, they were just like big successes, and I mean it. Almost all of them exceeded ridership. Even here in Salt Lake City, our first light rail line, which was called the Sandy Expo line at the time, I'm pretty sure, it's now called the Blue Line, exceeded its ridership projections by 43% in the first year, carrying 20,000 people per day. My goodness. That's, that's a lot. Well, and I mean, today it carries 70,000 people a day. I mean, pre-COVID, obviously. We're not going to use COVID numbers, but like... Yeah, I, that's impressive. Yeah. I, yeah, it's... <laughs> transit the, to the people. Let's transit go. to the people. Shows what happens when you build good transit. And, you know, although ridership has been on the decline in a lot of areas in recent years, the 25-ish light rail systems, and I say ish because, like, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes the difference between, like, light rail, light metro, streetcar, because they're all kind of... Yeah, it's kind of a continuous spectrum, and you can have one system that's kind of both, like, the red line and the blue line, run through, and the green line, too, run through <laughs> downtown Salt Lake. <laughs> on the middle of the street and they go and they stop at stoplights and they go and they stop at stoplights and they go and they stop at stoplights. At least for now. He's not frustrated by that at all. No, not not remotely, but that's a bit more comparable <laughs> to a streetcar than it is comparable to regular light rail. Hence, well, it's a spectrum. Yeah, and I mean, even the S-Line, when it's done with Phase 2, it's going to run in its own dedicated right-of-way and on the street. Ah, uh, yes, our favorite quote-unquote streetcar that does not run in the street and uses a full-size light rail vehicle. I can't wait for the day it's, it's completed. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who's who was possessed by the idea that, hey, it's a streetcar, it doesn't go on the street, but it's a streetcar. I think it's just a conspiracy by UTA to build us more transit. It's a UTA. Right under the nose of Sugar House. <laughs> it's a Trojan horse. It's a, Trojan, it's a <laughs> transit Trojan horse. It's a Trojan horse. on their noses. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. by calling it a streetcar, which has stops, not see, stations. It sounds, it sounds spooky. You see, light rail sounds spooky to rich people, but, <laughs> but streetcar, so quaint. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like something you could send your kids on. Oh, lovely. And, you know, we were just talking about this. Oh, well, I should probably finish what I was saying a second ago. But even though ridership has been on decline in some areas, the 25-ish light rail systems in the U.S. carry about 583 million passengers a year, a figure which has grown about 1 million every year for the last 30 years. So that's not, like, incredible, especially if you consider how much extra rail has been built in that time. But, you know, not bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. At least, it's not, at least it's not shrinking. That's yeah. what I have to say. That is fair. At least it's not shrinking. Like, bus has by about $250 million per year for, like, decades. Trains are cool. Trains are cool. People like riding trains for some weird reason. I know, right? <laughs> but as we were just talking about, light rail is very flexible and it can be hard to define. 
it varies in implement implementation from city to city. Like, for example, significant portions of some light rail systems, like Link Light Rail in Seattle, in my opinion, the best light rail in the country, or the Buffalo Metro Rail, are underground and function as subways. Whereas others, like Kyle mentioned, at Tracks here in Salt Lake City, or Max in Portland, a lot of X's. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty cool letter. It is It is a cool letter. It makes things sound cool, I guess. It's a of the future. But yeah. systems like Portland's Max especially function really like streetcars downtown. Like, they run in mixed traffic or with buses. Mm-hmm. And then even others, like the DLR, Docklands Light Railway, probably the best light rail system in the world, function more like light metro. And they're entirely grade-separated along most, if not all, their routes. And this flexibility is actually one of the big assets of light rail because it's so flexible. It can run on the streets as a downtown circulator, like a streetcar, on major arterial roads, like uh, up forth here in Salt Lake City, or next to a freeway as sort of a mini commuter rail like the Blue Line in Portland. Yeah, Light Rail's awesome. Transit to the people. Transit to the people. (laughs) All the people. All the people. So, like, you know, you could conceivably build a light rail just about anywhere you want it to. Certainly, certainly. And definitely a lot cheaper than building a metro system. (laughs) Yeah. Like, try. I would love to have metro systems everywhere like they do in other countries, but, like, falling short of that, Light light rail, rail, pretty cool. Yeah. Some people don't like going underground. You don't like going underground? Oh, I love going underground. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> yeah, but some people, especially in Utah earthquake zone... I mean, that's actually a reasonable thing to say, though. Like, like. Yeah. Would you want to be underground doing the earthquake? <laughs> it's a good way to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good, good way to go. It is a cool way to die, I guess, getting trapped by a subway. <laughs> well, okay, having said all that, I would love a subway. Oh, yeah, like, tracks would be incomprehensibly better if we were to bury the downtown sections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More trains, more faster. More faster, and you could, yeah, more trains. You could run higher frequency. We'd become a mini New York. We w- <laughs> <laughs> The New York of the West. I think that they already call San Francisco that. Well, we can be the wannabe New York of the West. I we mean, the with, new, new with, our, new York. with our growth rate here and considering our the size of our land isn't, like, that much larger than New York, like, so Lake Valley gonna be pretty heckin' dense in the next few years. Which is why we need trains. Ahem, ahem, 56 West Max. Ahem. And why we should build them now while they're cheaper. Oh yes, as I keep ranting at my friends about, as my hometown in Boise, they are going, <sighs> You can hear my frustration. So yes, there are a lot of different ways to implement light rail, but almost all systems have a few things in common. Most of them run almost solely in a dedicated right-of-way, even in downtown areas, like here in Salt Lake. Yeah. If lanes aren't shared with other vehicles, it's almost always in other forms of transit, like a bus or a streetcar. Like, Portland has this really extensive streetcar network, right? So they share a lot of track downtown with the light rail system, and then a lot of lanes where there are light rail and streetcars running. Buses are also allowed to run it. Very efficient use of space. Yeah, that's very clever. Also, uh, a lot of the track is not downtown or on streets. It's along the highway, which is lovely, running along I-15 here at Salt Lake. (laughs) Yeah, along that old railroad lines is where people love to build light rail these days. Mm -hmm. Pretty, as they say on Twitch, poggers. Oh. You're going to have to cut that out. Yeah, no, please cut cut that out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, another advantage is that most systems have a relatively high capacity and can run two or more cars at a time. 
<laughs> well, if you think about it, the average light rail vehicle could pretty reasonably fit like 200 to 250 people. So if you got a four-car train, you can carry a thousand people at once. Yeah, you can. That's absolutely packing it. Like even. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean it's not gonna be comfortable, but <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like game day packing. That it. is like game day oh, yes. packing it. Yeah. Yeah. And even a four-car UTA train, which is what we build all our stations for, will hold 50 people seated in each car. So that's 200 people just chilling on the padded seats. Very comfortable. Plus your six to 800 more standing. Yep. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It is a beautiful thing. We love high-capacity transit. I know. And don't forget that you can just run more trains if you need more space. What? I know. That's the beauty of dedicated right-of-way. Oh, geez. Didn't think of that. Yeah, you can run them as fast as every five minutes on the UTA system and even faster on subway and metro systems. That is true. Some uh, some systems have headways of under 90 seconds. Oh, my goodness. I know. Just imagine that. Like, you walk oh. into a station and just, oh, I missed. Oh, there's the next one. <laughs> that would way beat the half an hour on weekends. Oh, good heavens. Um, Let's not get into that. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, another thing, um, most stations on light rail routes are about a mile to a half a mile apart, with the exception of downtown routes, which are a lot closer together normally. Oh, yeah. And a lot of lines are pretty long, mostly over 10 miles in length. That's 16 kilometers for people who use the proper systems. You know, like normal people in normal countries, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, that is something about most light rail systems is that they're generally relatively long. We're talking blue line is about 20 miles, red line's about 22, the green line's about 15, so they tend to be a little bit longer than a lot of other transit lines just because they can move people faster. Yeah, yeah, the red and blue lines cover the entire vertical length of the Salt Lake Valley. Yeah. No very, problem. Very excellent. It's a big valley. It is a big valley. <laughs> yes, it, it is. It is a big valley. That's right. So that is light rail, the shining standard of transit for Western American cities. But what about BRT, everyone's favorite new, quote unquote, mode of transit? BRT stands for Bus Rapid Transit. Yeah, for those or, of you who don't know. Or at least it's supposed to stand for Bus Rapid Transit. <laughs> because in practice, a lot of times the R kind of doesn't exist. B R in air quotes T, if you will. Yes, and of course there are systems that live up to the name BRT, but most systems built, particularly in America, really don't. And, and we'll get into that, of course. So what is BRT? Well, according to the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, that's a mouthful, uh, which is one of the main proponents of BRT worldwide, BRT is a quote, and I'm quoting this from their website, you can look this up, a, quote, high-quality bus-based transit system with dedicated lanes, busways, and iconic stations typically aligned to the center of the road, off-board fare collection, and fast and frequent operations. So sounds kind of like, uh, what's, what's the thing UTA likes to call it? Light rail. On rubber tires. Ah, yes, so, yes. So when built properly, yeah. BRT does share a lot of characteristics with light rail. It's meant to be light rail or surface level metro with buses instead of trains and roads instead of tracks. Which is, you know, that's okay that that's a thing that exists. I mean, it's not an unreasonable idea. No, not at all. But at that point, why don't we just I have... I mean, when you have enough rail? demand for a train, I don't quite understand why you'd build BRT, but that's my opinion. I guess it's a cost thing. 
So what we know today as BRT was dreamed up in Chicago in 1937 as part of the highway construction thing we talked about the other day. Basically, this guy in Chicago wanted to build new superhighways to replace some of the city's L-train lines. There would be two lanes of car traffic and two lanes of bus traffic. And even though this guy advocated for his idea for like over a decade, it never really got off the ground. No pun intended. <laughs> get it? Because it's elevated. Yeah. Ha! That made me laugh. So this guy's idea was replicated. Uh, some busways were built in other cities to replace rail lines between World War II and... What were we just talking about a few minutes ago? The Reagan era! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Most of them were just completely abysmal failures. And I, I don't mean that in, like, any, like, even, like, slightly exaggerating sense. Like, one in Cleveland that they replaced the subway line with a bus line got less than 15% of its pre-busification ridership. Yeah, why would you ride a bus instead of a subway? That's that's I a know, great question. Terrible. And Be- it's something we see today, too. Like, buses in general all across the country attract less ridership than light rail. Bus ridership is declining light rail ridership is rising people want trains so maybe we should give them trains then? Shh, shh. hey you're spoiling for the future we're trying to talk about how great brt is oh, here sorry. Sorry. Trains <laughs> to the people although it should be noted that these new busways that we were talking about were not seen as a separate form of transit from buses but as part of increasing bus service which is sort of something different between early busways and the way we build brt now because now we're just like brt it's different than buses Wow. (laughs) That's a hard sell. It is. It is definitely a hard sell. So modern BRT, the kind of BRT we think about now, which is like special and different, uh, it got its start in Brazil in the city of Curitiba. Please, God, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. Where the Brazilian military dictatorship used its, like, super, you know, authoritarian power to build a really effective bus system and transit-oriented developments. All right. <laughs> I guess dictatorships can do some good things? I guess it's more of a, if the government wants to build transit, they can just go build transit. I think that that's probably a better way to put it, is that when a government has high power, it can sort of effectively build transit in a way that we, as a pluralist society, have a little more difficulty doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. dictation's good for transit? Uh, no, this is more of just a specific instance. It's a specific where a specific instance. dictator wanted transit and therefore got transit. That's right. And then U.S. planners, and especially those critical of rail transit in the United States, were like... Praise the Lord! It's high-capacity transit without the train! Ha 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 ha! I may have portrayed that as more evil than it's meant to be or than they were. But, you know, they took it as an example of how you could do high-capacity, decently high-quality transit on a budget. Which, you know, was important because, again, we're getting into the Reagan era, my friends! This is where the idea of bus rapid transit as a mode of transportation different from normal buses sort of emerged, especially in the U.S., these people were marketing this as something different than, like, improved bus service. And that's sort of how the idea of it being different evolved in the first place. Which sounds to me like a bit of a trick to get rid of rail systems and replace them with bus systems by kind of inflating the value of these faster bus systems. Yes, absolutely. So, really, just, like, broad groups of people started pushing for BRT, and it's not just motor companies. 
although it really should be noted that oil companies in particular really like bus rapid transit for some strange reason, almost like it runs off oil. For example, in 2002, uh, Shell gave $7.5 million to a bus rapid transit uh, advocacy group called Embark, E-M-B-A-R-Q. And with Shell's financial support, they just started to like really advocate for BRT systems around the globe. But it's not just, it's not just the oil companies. It's also environmentalists because they're like, oh, cheap way to get people out of the car. Not bad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting, but I would say a bit of misguided idea. Absolutely. But like, you know, it, it's kind of a complicated thing. And before long, groups like ITDP were helping develop new BRT systems, especially in South America. South America loves BRT, which I good mean, for them. Yeah, <laughs> it, if it works. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It took off in Brazil. They were like the OG modern BRT with entire bus expressways and giant bus stops and bus traffic jams. They had so many buses. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not against bus traffic jams, but... They had so many buses, it was a legitimate form of transit, not the quote-unquote BRT that we have in, say, Provo. Provo. Provo, Provo, Utah. Uh, And so in 1997, ITDP partnered with the mayor of Bogota to build probably the most successful BRT system in the world. It's called Transmillennio, and it carries 2.1 million riders per day. That's more than a whole lot of metros. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, that's unheard of in the States. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, like, that's competitive with, like, that's more than Boston. That's more than Chicago. Like, the only city in the United States that really gets more than that is New York, of course. Well, yeah, well, of course. It's beautiful. It's it's masterful. I mean, like, the New York subway just chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Even if their bus system kind of sucks. But but what you going to do? And take the subway. Take the subway, exactly. <laughs> or walk. Or walk. To the next bike subway. To the next <laughs> subway station, yeah. Uh, or the next commuter rail station. I mean, like, people look at the subway, but they don't realize there's, like, this massive overlay of commuter rail that also serves a lot of the same areas. Yeah. So, New York, pretty incredible, as I'm sure we're all aware. But that was completely off topic. So from here, as Bogota, like, had this super successful system, BRT just, like, exploded around the world. It's like in 200 different cities now, there's BRT systems. And, you know, who are we to say that this is a bad thing? I mean, like, BRT represents a, like, really substantial improvement over traditional bus service. And the really good systems... Ah, I see the problem there. BRT is an improvement over bus systems. Spoilers. It's not meant to be downgraded light rail. If If you have the demand for light rail, you should be building light rail. Yes, and maybe even if you don't, which we'll get into later. But, like, it's a lot better than regular bus systems, like, and it shares a number of features with light rail. It's, like, larger vehicles, off-board fare collection, higher frequency. Dedicated lanes in the middle of the road. Dedicated lanes a lot of times. So, like, we're we're not going to say BRT is bad. Like, I mean, Transmillennial, like we were talking about, it works. 2.1 million people. 40-some percent of people exclusively use it to get around in Bogota. So there's nothing wrong with a good BRT system, and we're not here to say that it's just, like, the worst thing ever and we should never build BRT. Yeah. 
but build light rail maybe build light rail maybe yeah. but we keep doing spoilers um, <laughs> guess we're bad like that but well, I think I think it's pretty obvious now and I mean bendy buses Mm. Pretty cool. I, I think bendy buses are awesome. Like in Seattle where they use them on like a lot of normal lines, like they're just kind of cooler than a normal bus. They, they yeah. always... Like I'd rather ride a bendy bus than a normal bus. I know, like how buses have a lot of stigma and not a lot of cool factor like trains do. Putting bends in them adds some more cool factor. Adds some more cool factor, get people on the and bus. And capacity, of yeah. course. This might sound kind of dumb, but bendy buses always remind me of Slinky Dog from Toy Story. <gasps> yes! <laughs> and yes! I think that's, that's why I like them so much. <laughs> and I mean, like LRT, uh, BRT is very flexible. It has a vast variety of differences in the way that systems are built and run. Like Transmillennial, fully exclusive right-of-ways, protected from other vehicle traffic. And then some have painted high-occupancy vehicle lanes like UVX and Provo. And others run exclusively in mixed traffic, like, um, what are they called? Express Link or something in Seattle? Yeah, something like that. I'd also like to say they have iconic stations. Iconic stations. I mean, the stops on BRT are pretty cool a lot of times. Yeah. Like, they're not like... The, the ones down in Provo? Hey, I look at them from a car, and I'm envious. Oh, yeah, and I'd much rather go to those than, like, a normal bus stop any day. Even, mm-hmm. with, a, even with a bus shelter, I'd rather go to a UVX stop. Like, it just feels much safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And cooler. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can look down on the cars in the road. You can think, oh, I'm on a bus. I am a guy. I'm better than you. <laughs> Transit superiority. Yeah, we, we, should, we should bring that. We should make that a thing. Make people feel like transit they're better superior. for taking public transit. Well, I mean, they are. Well, yeah, but make I sure mean, they like, know it. Environmentally, uh, urban planning away. <laughs> <laughs> and the types of buses also differ greatly. Like we were talking about, we've got bendy buses. Oh, the, oh yes, double bendy buses. Double bendy buses. And I mean, bendy buses are really popular on BRT systems here in the U.S. But in other places, they use a lot of double-decker buses. Oh, can I talk about England? You can talk about England. Okay. I mean, that's not BRT, but like... Hey, well, they use a lot double-decker of double-decker buses, beautiful. They are. They're really a masterpiece. It's, it's like how we build buildings up. We should build buses, <laughs> buses up. up. Oh, and really and it's like how the front runner has two levels to it. Yeah, yeah. Two-story LRT, anyone? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> more capacity. You more can make capacity. it for the fact that buses hold a lot less people than train cars by making the buses taller. Yes, you can. For example, what we were talking about earlier, Transmillennial uses a lot of double-deckers. So there's a huge variation in the way that BRT and BRT, air quotes, systems are implemented, but all BRT systems share really one feature. Their branding portrays them as different and faster than normal buses. Regardless of whether or not they actually are. Exactly. The price tag portrays them as different, too. Oh, yes, the price tag, because BRT is a lot more expensive to build than normal buses. Yeah, can we point fingers at UVX and Provo now? How much money did they spend on building their 10-mile B, quote-unquote, RT system? Uh, something like 160 to $200 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not fully exclusive. It's only uh, about half exclusive. Right, the lanes are mostly painted where it is exclusive, and the stops aren't particularly spectacular, so I would be very interested to see where all that money goes, because they only bought a fleet of 20 buses. I mean, the stops are raised, and they've got, like, TV screens. 
but I don't know how you burn $160 million on it's that. It's got to be the paint. The paint for those the bus paint, lanes. <laughs> the paint for the bus lanes is very expensive. You know, it has a magic quality that keeps cars out. Uh, yes, car repellent. It's like paint. a force field. <laughs> it's a force field. Exactly. Uh, so that's sort of a short history of LRT, light rail transit, or light rapid transit, depending on who you ask, and bus rapid transit. So now it's time for the comparison or rather, lack thereof. (laughs) Because they aren't really the same thing. Up front, light rail is more expensive to build, and it probably always will be, at least in the U.S. Europe does it better and cheaper. Europe does it way better and cheaper for reasons that people still haven't figured out. Like, I spent literally hours researching this, and I could not figure out why the heck it costs so much to build rail in America compared to other places. Like, there's some people that say it doesn't cost more. There's some people that say it costs more because of labor. But, like, everyone disagrees. No one really agrees. But the fact is, it costs more in America. Yeah. One of the weird things you dug up is that it actually costs more money to buy light rail vehicles in America. Yes, because we have a Made in America law here. What that means is that if you're going to purchase a transit vehicle or a plane that's not made in America, you have to pay a big tax on top of it. So are the UTA cars not made in America? No, they're made in Germany. Do we even make light rail Wait, vehicles we, in America? We don't make. There's, Wait, there's, no. a, there's one factory for light rail vehicles that I was able to find in America, and it is here in Utah, but it's by a German company, so you still have to pay the Made in America tax. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea. Yeah, Siemens is a German company. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And the same goes for planes, but you can buy those in country. You know, we have Boeing. Yeah. If you want to die, I guess. Too soon. Too soon, yeah. Sorry. But the same isn't true for buses. Uh, You can actually buy those from American manufacturers. Yeah. So there is an issue with that. But the gap really isn't as big as everyone likes to make it out to be. Most light rail systems, realistically, people love to inflate or deflate the numbers. Uh, Realistically, they cost about $80 million a mile to build. In the U.S. Including infrastructure and all that garbage. They can get a lot cheaper. Like San Diego, like we talked about, $7 million a mile. In Salt Lake, we've built ours for an average of $35 million a mile. Which is really good. Go UTA. Very good. So, you know, there's a lot of variation, obviously, but let's say a reasonable cost is about $80 to $100 million for a modern light rail system you're building in 2021. For BRT systems that are like anywhere near as good as light rail, for example, the uh, new busway that they're building in Connecticut, uh, in Hartford, $60 million a mile. That is very much overlapping the range of costs for light rail. Like in Utah, UTA built theirs for $35 million a mile. Oh, yes, absolutely. And obviously land acquisition stuff is more expensive back east, so that's a factor. Of course. But, you know, BRT systems can get just as absurdly expensive as rail systems. For example, the MBTA Silver Line in Boston, that's a BRT line in Boston, $2 billion. Over $2 billion. Over $2 billion. <laughs> $2.1 billion, actually. What are they spending Well, I mean, on? part of it's in a tunnel, so that accounts for a lot of the costs. But, okay. like, is, you know... Is there, like, a global shortage of car-repellent road paint or something? I don't know. Are, are the buses made of gold? <laughs> <laughs> the buses, apparently, in Boston are made of gold. But, yeah, there's a difference, obviously. But if you want near-light rail quality service, it's going to be nearly as expensive if not as expensive as light rail, particularly in the western United States. Yeah, because building light rail track is not actually that expensive. It's all the other costs, the land acquisition, the infrastructure, that really add up, and they add up in the same way as they do for light rail. They add up for bus. 
Well, and that's actually true. It's good that you mentioned that because it's a fun fact that most people don't know that um, light rail track actually costs less to build per mile than BRT guideways most of the time. Is that like a maintenance issue or what? I don't know why, but I the paper that I read, and I can pull it up right here if you like, and you can read it for yourself. So, according to this source, which is a pretty reputable source, it's the journalist resource, BRT guideways average 6.459 million per mile versus 4.289 million for light rail. So that's the tracks and the caternaries and all that nonsense. And then, uh, for some reason, buying land for BRT is, like, significantly more expensive. The land acquisition cost for BRT is $3.018 million per mile versus uh, $1.52 million per mile with light rail. Is that an issue of, like, running BRT more in the road than you do with light rail? I would imagine that that's the reason it costs more, but, like, the actual guideways aren't what's expensive. Like you said, it's the maintenance facilities and the vehicles that drive up the cost of light mm-hmm. rail. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're gold. Yes, <laughs> especially especially if they're gold, because apparently Boston builds their vehicles out of gold. So there's a really fair comparison to be made that if you build your light rail like cheaply and well, it's going to be similar in cost to a really good bus rapid transit system. But here's where we get to the real issue between light rail and BRT is the long term and economic costs because BRT costs more to maintain over the long term than light rail. Because buses and bus infrastructure cost more to maintain than train infrastructure. Uh, Apparently. (laughs) At least according to the government. Yeah. Kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like, downtown, UTA runs their tracks in concrete, and they do that because it's very low maintenance. Those tracks will last as is for several decades. Oh, yeah. And the only thing that they're even considering replacing right now is curves. Like, the rest of it is going to be fine for more decades. Yeah, they've, they've replaced multiple of their, like, sharp left turns 20 years after building them. I would love to mention how fast they've replaced the curves. It's been, it's been truly very incredible. impressive. Yeah. Five days of downtime to completely rip up and replace and re-concrete some railroad curves. Yeah, and they provided a bus bridge the entire time, so there was very little disruption to service. It was excellent. Oh, yes. Um, But sort of contrary to belief among a lot of people in urbanist circles that I've talked to, people think that because with a BRT system you have to run more vehicles to make up for capacity, it's going to be more expensive to operate per hour. But the fact is that on a nationwide scale, that just isn't really true. BRT systems, and I've done these calculations myself, pulling data from the National Transit Database. This was painful, so (laughs) you're welcome, audience. BRT costs 98 cents per passenger mile to operate in the United States, and LRT costs 97 cents per passenger mile. Now, when you look at the western United States, there's a much larger difference. BRT costs still about the same, and LRT systems run closer to 73 cents per passenger mile. Is that just because of, like, how much land there is out west? I'm not entirely sure why it is. Yeah, there's just so many factors that go into it, like utilization... Yes. And also, per unlinked trip, LRT is more expensive, but that's really just because people are taking longer trips on LRT. Which makes sense, and that's one of the things LRT is amazing for. Medium to long trips, yes. Trains go fast. Trains do go much faster. Trains don't get stuck in traffic. That is very true, especially when they have their own dedicated right-of-way. So if you're in the West, you can make a case that 
Well, hey, look, an operations cost, it's going to cost more upfront, but we'll recoup it in operations cost over the very long term. Mm-hmm. But where the difference shows in higher operating cost LRT systems is in vehicle replacement. Articulated buses, which are normally used in U.S. BRT systems, cost anywhere from 800000 and that's if you're buying, like, crap garbage, to $2 million, which is, like, really fancy, brand new, super cool electric bus. Yeah. Whereas LRT vehicles generally cost about $1.9 to $4.5 million. However, the LRT vehicles last a lot longer. They're built very sturdy. One of the Siemens S70 cars that UTA runs on their red and green lines weighs 100,000 pounds. Yeah, there's a lot of steel in those suckers, so they last a long time. And as we can see from, like, really old streetcars that are still running in places like San Francisco, you can have an effectively unlimited lifespan with most LRT vehicles if properly maintained. Yeah. But realistically, that's not going to happen. Like, most places, like, for example, Portland's just now phasing out its first generation from the 70s. So, really, most vehicles are going to last 40 to maybe 50 years is how long they're going to keep them for. And then, in contrast, your bus, you're going to have to replace every 8 to 12 years. That's way more frequent. So, if you're buying a mid-end, let's say, $3 million LRT vehicle, it's going to last 40 years, probably, right? And you're going to have to replace your bus probably four times in that period and if you're buying a low-end bus surprise $600,000 more over the time period because you're buying three $800,000 buses instead of one $3 million LRT vehicle. And that's kind of a best case cost scenario for buses. That is a best case cost scenario for buses and a little bit higher case cost scenario for LRT because LRT in the US vehicles are getting actually a little more affordable. Yeah. Because we have a domestic, well we have a Canadian manufacturer now. Do, do we tax them less? Yeah, because of NAFTA. Oh, cool. Yeah, so yeah. NAFTA did something good for once. Um, <laughs> <laughs> weird, right? Yeah, so like over the long term, especially in the Western United States, and we're talking not like over the 20 year long term, we're talking 40, 50, 60 year long term, your light rail system is ultimately going to end up being cheaper than a BRT system with similar service. Absolutely. And I think that that's important because when you're going to run like your BRT, quote unquote BRT system, like UVX, yeah, obviously it's going to be way cheaper because it doesn't offer the same quality of service. Not remotely the same quality of service. No. You know, additionally, let's talk about the economic costs of BRT versus LRT. It's very, very well known that nothing spurs development like rail transit. That is so true. The Tracks Blue Line attracts new high-density housing developments like a magnet. And office buildings. Like, it's just really not a comparison. BRT, of course, like even bus lines will attract development next to them because developers are like, oh, the city's investing in this area. So BRT has that same effect, but from the studies and stuff that I've read, it's to a a lesser degree. That even makes sense with, like, the the streetcar, the S-Line. Yes. There's so much development in Chicago. There is so much development along it. Like, there's just high-density, high-density popping up all along it. So you can really see how rail sort of contributes to economic development if you just go into any downtown. Like, Salt Lake City downtown 20 years ago before tracks 
ghost town. Like, there was nothing there but Temple Square. Now, it's starting to thrive a little bit. They even built that mall. Just they right did build it, City, City Creek, Creek Mall, the newest mall built in the entire they, planet. They built a bridge between the two halves of the mall over a train station. I know. If you're ever in Salt Lake, you gotta visit City Creek just to see sort of the cool sky bridge set up with the tracks. I think it's awesome. Pretty bougie. It is, it is very bougie. And like we've said earlier, the main reason BRT is cheaper is because cities aren't really building BRT. According to the ITDP, the people who helped build the Transmillennia in Bogota, there are only 11 actual BRT systems in the United States that meet their standard for what BRT is. And their BRT standard is basically like the baseline of like, hey, this is almost as good as rail service. Yeah, because that's what BRT is meant to be. It's meant to be light rail on rubber tires, (laughs) as UTA puts it. Yeah, and so really most BRT systems in the United States are not remotely living up to that promise. No. And that's my main sort of gripe with BRT in the U.S., is that politicians and people who want to build these things are promising, like, hey, it's light rail on rubber tires. It's going to be exactly the same. It doesn't really turn out that way. Yeah, and then they don't build it. They cut costs. They start cutting out those dedicated guideways, which are a critical component Oh, yeah, for speed especially. Yeah, yeah, a BRT is not rapid. If it gets stuck in traffic, that's just a bus. And this is what's called BRT creep, uh, where you sort of start off with, like, this golden plan to build, like, a gold-quality BRT that's, like, super awesome, the highest standard of BRT possible, and then slowly, 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 you creep down until it's barely BRT, or maybe not even BRT at all. And at that point, it's basically just an express bus. But unfortunately, the cost doesn't always come down with all these feature cuts. Like, UVX, as we mentioned, cost about $165 million dollars to build. And it's missing a lot of like features that would have made it significantly better. They would have saved a lot of money by just calling it an express bus and building an express bus. And I mean, I, we have no problem with express buses. Yeah, yeah. Just like, say what it is. Just don't pretend like it's a substitute for light rail because it just really isn't. And this has happened all over the country, even in the probably best BRT system in the U.S., the Euclid Corridor, which has a silver rating under the BRT standard, not even gold rated. So this has even happened to this system, which is well-established, has pretty high ridership. They got rid of traffic light priority, which is really important for, like, high-quality both light rail and BRT systems. Yeah, because they have to compete with cars. If you want to get people out of their cars, you got to build better transit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's happened other places, too. Like, in Houston, they removed the dedicated lanes. It's now just a hub toll lane. Or they just remove them all together and make it, like Kyle said, an express bus. So, you know, that's not great because you're promising, like, a relatively good form of transit that's going to attract a lot of riders and be very good for the community. And you're delivering a very watered-down version of the same. So watered-down that it's an entirely different class of transit. Yeah. It's a a shame, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it really is. I mean, because I am very much a pro-BRT, or rather, I mean, let's let's not call it BRT, because most of the time it is, um, this, this is the next fact on my little checklist here, it's really slow. Like, BRT is the second slowest mode of transit in the United States on average. Uh, it goes an average of 9.2 miles per hour. Which, keep in mind, is slower than most ferry boats. Or normal buses. You can probably- yeah bike faster than that. Yes, and versus most light rail systems and hybrid rail systems, so light metro and light rail, 
are going between 15 to 25 miles an hour. Yeah, and that 15 to 25 is representative of your like very cost-cut budget light rail downtown systems like we have in Salt Lake. Yeah, in Salt Lake, our system averages 25. In Portland, it averages about the same. So They, they pulled that off by just putting trains in the middle of the road. No tunnels, no raised trains, no grade separation. Or like in Portland, they just built it next to a freeway. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> imagine how much that would go up if we were able to have green lights go off the trains as they demand it. I think that that would be an excellent improvement to tracks, but, you know, it's not a priority. And then finally, really the big issue with BRT compared to light rail or, like, trying to make BRT a substitute for light rail, uh, it just doesn't attract ridership the same way that light rail does. For example, when light rail in Salt Lake City inaugurated in 2000 and, or 1999, so when our first, the blue line opened up, mm-hmm. it smashed expectations. Absolutely. What like, is it? 43% over what it was expected to open. The same goes for pretty much every system, like the San Diego trolley, the super cheap one we talked about yeah. earlier. 63% over expected ridership. Portland, like 50% over the expected ridership on their first light rail line. Like, people want to ride rail transit more yes, than they, they do, do other lines. I have no way of, like, qualifying this, but one of my teachers here, they said the first day the red line opened, they had to order new cars. Oh, yeah. Because they weren't expecting it. Yes, this happens all over the place where um, when light rail lines were opened in the in the 80s through the 2000s, transit agencies were, like, immediately having to order more cars and higher frequencies just because there were just so many people riding all the time. Yeah, the people want trains. They know trains are good. Trains go fast. Trains don't stop Trains get them where they're going. They look nice. They oh, do yeah. look nice. And let's, that's, that's a qualitative factor. I think that's really important in transit is like what people want to ride. Like, Kyle, your family's kind of anti-transit, but you said... My dad and my sister like to take the tracks downtown to catch the Utah gymnastics games. Oh, yeah. And my parents wouldn't be caught dead riding a bus. But when they came here, I offered, hey, let's go ride the tracks. And they're like, huh, you know, that sounds kind of like an yeah, interesting idea. I've nice. never... I've never ridden that before. And this isn't just a thing that people have in their heads. Trains are actually a better experience. Like UTA's frontrunner commuter rail is so butter smooth, you don't even notice when it stops at the station. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the seats are comfortable. There's plenty of space to sort of stretch out. They've got booths with tables and power outlets and Wi-Fi. I mean, the same goes for tracks to a lesser degree. I mean, there's booths. You can sit and talk to your friends. There's plenty of spots to sit. And normally, even during rush hour, it's not absurd crowded. Yeah, they manage their supply and demand of vehicles quite nicely. Right, like they always put more vehicles than they need so that there's mm-hmm. plenty of space for everybody, yeah. which is something that's a little more difficult to do with bus rapid transit or with bus. Because buses come in whole units, you can't have a bus that's... You can't hitch them together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, four bendy bus... The four the bendy bus, bendy, the, four, bendy the quadruple bus. bendy bus may the be able, <laughs> the triple decker quadruple bendy bus may be able to replicate light rail experience. I'm not even going to ask how much these cost. <laughs> not enough. Um, so, like, there's a lot of qualitative factors. And, I mean, like, people you wouldn't expect to ride transit. Like, we have this really fancy hotel downtown. The Grand America. The Grand America. 
I meet people on my daily commute home from work all the time who are from the Grand America at the track station being like, uh, hi, I'm trying to get to blank place. Do you know how I can get there? And I'm like, yeah. And these aren't like, you know, the usual people who ride transit in America, which I, I really hate to say this, but it's mostly poor people, elderly people, and college students. These are rich people staying in a fancy hotel. Yeah. So rail transit sort of has the ability to attract every type of clientele. Yes, it does. From your person who would probably have to use transit no matter what options were available to people who don't need transit. Yeah, especially as rail transit keeps getting better and better and service keeps improving. Yes, absolutely. And then I know that this is sort of off tangent from where we've been talking about how great rail transit is, but let's talk about car dependency for a second here. Oh boy. Um, Back to our last episode, growing up in the suburbs and needing a car to get around. So when you build a train, are you building more things that could eventually become a road? No. No. You are not. Are you expanding a road generally? No. No. Now, when you build BRT, are you expanding a road? Yes. 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 Like, we talked about the bus expressways in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Mm-hmm. That's still a road. Yeah. I mean, just because it has buses on it, it's it's still a road, guys. Like, it has all the same non-car-related negative effects that a road has, like being bad for pedestrians. Having high maintenance costs. Having high maintenance costs relative to property tax values, which is something we're going to get into in a future episode. Like, rail transit encourages living a car-free lifestyle in a way that bus rapid transit is not necessarily conducive to. Yeah, rail transit is kind of a whole different paradigm of transit, whereas bus transit and bus rapid transit, even bus rapid transit done right, is just an extension of cars and fundamentally cannot escape a lot of their problems. Exactly. Whereas even the most baseline light rail is instantly, in people's heads and in reality, above where cars could ever be. Yes, and that's absolutely true. Well, this is true until cars have railroad wheels. <laughs> Are we Elon Musk? Elon car Musk, subway with the tracks. loop, the loop. Oh, car subway with tracks. It's great. <laughs> um, not the most inefficient thing, literally ever, but that'll be for a future episode as well. So I think it's fair to say here at the Redline Podcast. I know this is a really controversial topic among just like everyone, like fighting for better transit in America. Like if you're fighting for better BRT, great. If you're fighting for light rail, better. So I'd say like what? We're pro BRT, but maybe stop calling it BRT. We are pro improved bus service that's so good it can get people out of cars and onto trains. That's a good way to put it. Because, you know, that's ultimately the function of what quote unquote BRT, improved bus service. It's just really good bus service. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with really good bus service. And maybe we should have it everywhere. Yeah, especially in areas that are still developing transit, like the Salt Lake Valley. We can't afford to have light rail laced throughout the entire valley yet, but we can afford to have extensive bus networks to get everybody onto trains. Exactly. And the same goes for Utah Valley down south. I mean, they don't exactly have the tax base or the density to necessarily need light rail, but they're a great fit for improved bus service. Yeah, UVX, their improved bus service down there, runs every six to ten minutes during peak, which is brilliant. I mean, that's better than tracks. Like, we should be running tracks that often. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know... Just don't call it BRT, and you can save hundreds of millions of dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Just call it really good bus service. Yeah. 
Okay. So everybody, thank you for listening to our explanation of what BRT really is and why American BRT is not real BRT. And it's it's improved bus service. Yeah, which is great. Which is great. We love it. We do like improved bus service. But stop pretending like it can replace Fright Rail. Yeah. All right, so I guess it's time for our plugs. Uh, If you're watching this on YouTube, we're also on Spotify. If you're listening to this on Spotify, we're also on YouTube. And we have a website. Yes, we do have a website. It is www.trlpod.com. You can also find us on Twitter. At the redline underscore pod. And yeah. check out the bus picture while you're there. Oh, yes, please. It's <laughs> going to be incredible. Oh, yes. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll stay with us next episode. Um, oh, we also have a Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Get Patreon money. Give, give money, please, we poor college yeah. student. Link in description. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.